AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So there's this application called CCleaner, and lots of people use it to maintain their computers, clean up junk, and apparently they got compromised, and the official copies of CCleaner that were being distributed had malware baked into them. Hey, Matt, I was hearing about a lot of chatter about the CCleaner tool and how it's been infected. Do you want to talk a little more about you know, what you've been hearing? Yeah, so this one is pretty interesting. So CCleaner is a pretty well-known tool. I know a lot of folks actually use it on their own machines, and it's it's meant to sort of clean up the, the crud on your machine, remove unneeded you know, configuration stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Cisco Talos team discovered that a recent version of CCleaner as of like August 15th was being distributed with malware built into it. Wow. So, and the, the interesting part about it is that it's not just like someone managed to find their FTP server and like combine the malware as part of it. This was part of the build process. So wow. they signed that entire bundle of regular software plus malware. Mm -hmm. Properly, so if you run on your computer, you know the the reason that you sign software is to prove that it's a legitimate piece of software, okay. and it it bypasses that completely. So, the good thing is, um, Avast, uh, who owns the company that creates this, has gone ahead. They've they've released a statement saying, you know, the servers that were hosting it are cleaned up. The we've pushed a brand new version to the people who can get updates. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply to everybody. I think the free version still doesn't automatically update. So if you're a user of CCleaner, it's definitely time to check what version you're running. Yeah. It's pretty unusual. I mean, people have been bundling malware with regular software for a while or advertising that their malware is that same software. But having the actual functional software run and a signed copy, which is supposed to prove that this came from the people you expect it to come from and is trustworthy, uh, subverting that is a big deal. But it seems like it's been mostly contained, I would say, at this point. They did a really good job, Talos, of writing up the malware and how it works, a really nice analysis nice. of okay. how the, the, I think it's a DLL that gets packaged inside of it, how that actually operates, how mm -hmm. it calls home, uh, how the d domain generation algorithm works. Okay. So if you're somebody who hunts for this sort of stuff on the network and you're not sure if it's in your environment, there's mm -hmm. plenty of stuff to look for to try and find it as well. Okay. And it's a popular tool, right? So I hear that it's about 2 million downloads since it's been infected that's happened. Yeah. So as an end user, I think we'd all want to just make sure if you're using it, you know, have the updated version with the patch installed. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the right way to go. Okay. Although it raises questions about, you know, everything that we do to keep the software ecosystem clean and sane, mm -hmm. you know, bypassing code signing is a big deal. And this would, this would be exactly be how you do it if you were an attacker. I'm not sure what to say besides keep an eye on your build environment as, as yeah. a developer if you are someone who produces software Correct. for other people. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to see how the hacker techniques have changed and now you're attacking the software supplier itself. You yeah. know, we always talk about end users and organizations using the software. Now you're attacking the provider of the software. And we talk about application security in the SDLC phase, which is in the whole development process, becomes critical now, right? Yeah, so. definitely. What do you think, Jim? I thought it was interesting that they managed to get it into the installer there. So, you know, it, it isn't, it isn't like the CCleaner application itself was infected, but this DLL got installed by the installer when you were installing 
see cleaner. So folks need to absolutely keep track of their build environments and make sure that those are isolated and clean because if, if the bad guys can get in there, you know, they can hide their malware just about anywhere. Okay, so I think we've got the lessons learned there. You know, keep security in mind through the build process. And of course, make sure that you have the most latest up-to-date you know, software and definitely look for it. Absolutely. So it's not post-installation where you have the user click on a malware and then download things. This is part of the package in terms of install. So it is uh, unique to see that it's gone all the way up the chain in terms of attacking the software supplier itself. So Jim, you know, if you follow the cryptocurrency markets, things have been like a roller coaster recently. Uh, but I think the upshot of that is that people are much more interested in, in making this kind of money and not always in, in above board means. So I think you've got a pretty cool story about that. This was a, a story in ESET's uh, We Live Security blog. And it was, yeah, I've, I've done a number of cases over the, the years that involved cryptocurrency miners being planted on various devices, on Linux servers, on IoT devices. This one was a little different. In this campaign, there it's actually, the cryptocurrency miners are actually in JavaScript, and so they're being, this JavaScript is being injected on websites to get folks to run the miner inside their web browser. They tracked a couple of sites that were doing a lot of this through malvertising. Now, that's something I've always had a problem with is that people who are providing ads on websites aren't always vetting what's being pushed to somebody's browser. And we've seen malware deliver this way. Now, you can also load JavaScript in somebody's browser as part of this ad package. And somebody can mine cryptocurrency using that. You know, if, if ads were only allowed to be static images and there was some way to enforce that, I think the internet ecosystem would be a lot safer for web users. And they were particularly aiming at streaming video sites or web gaming sites. Uh, I can see why. Cryptocurrency mining is a CPU-intensive activity. So if they can hide it inside websites that are going to, A, stay connected for a long period of time, and B, already have some additional CPU overhead where they might not get noticed. It's going to go into the gaming sites and streaming sites where this is where you'll be impacted. So while you're browsing, in the background it's using your CPU's power to go and mine currency and you're making money for somebody else. It's a way of making money with your computer in very basic terms. And using somebody else's computer to do this means you're not paying for the power or the, or the CPU cycles and you're just getting the benefit out of it, which is why malware authors have been doing this for a while. This isn't the first time that folks have tried to, to do this via JavaScript, but uh, it is one of the larger instances of this type of attack. They're also going after three particular cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin, which is the big one, the most well-known one. They're going after Feathercoin, Litecoin, and Monero. And they're doing this because these are less CPU intensive. They don't require the you know, specialized hardware, so it's possible to actually do some reasonable computation 
inside of a web browser. That's interesting. Monero I've, has a kind of a reputation around um, criminal activity these days as well. I'm sure there are legit uses of it, mm -hmm. but Monero is designed to be a more of a privacy protecting yep. currency. So you can mine it and profit from that mining a little more anonymously than you can with things like Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think what is interesting to see is although cryptocurrency and mining has been around for some time, the way they've actually taken it to target users of gaming websites or streaming, you know, so that population typically may not really think about security and, you know, think about what they're downloading. And most often than not, most websites will say, oh, you need to run Java to be able to show you this content. And you're going to be like, okay, click X. Okay, let's go on, right? I think they're really going after also to not be noticed. So there's strategy behind how they implemented this one. So, so Bindu, I've been hearing a lot about this Blueborn uh, Bluetooth vulnerability. I understand you were doing some research on that? Yes, this was an interesting one, right? So far, when we talk about security techniques and attacks, right, we expect a user to click on a malicious link, download something. For this one, you don't need to be connected to the internet at all. You could have a device, any device, that has Bluetooth activated, which means it's on even though you're not using it. This is exploiting a vulnerability, eight of those mainly around remote code execution, as well as information leak. And it spreads sort of worm-like, malware-like. Blueborn is basically a clickless attack pattern on Bluetooth. And for this one, you don't need to be on the internet. You don't need to be paired with a Bluetooth device as long as you have Bluetooth on. You could walk past somebody with a malicious device that's using this vulnerability against you, and you'd never know and you wouldn't have to take any action, it would just happen to your device. You have, let's say, a delivery shipment guy coming into a large financial institution doing deliveries. His device is infected, so then anybody that has a Bluetooth on any device, it could be the cameras, it could be any other devices, phones, you know, computers, all of those would be infected. Then he moves on, he goes and drops the shipment at another location, they get infected. So really this is like an airborne virus, if you will. I don't think there's any evidence yet that this has been seen in the wild. I think that most users will be all right, although it's, I worry a little bit about asking people to be the first person to get exploited about, you know, in one of these situations. Most of us keep our Bluetooth on, whether we use it or not. And I don't think this is about, you know, Bluetooth itself being insecure, as much as it is about when services are not needed, you don't want to you know, keep them on. And also for the fact that your chip manufacturers need to play an important role in terms of doing patches for you and you know, really going into making sure that all of these IoT devices pretty much have Bluetooth on typically by default. So is this a problem at the protocol design level? Is this the implementation or the chip manufacturer? It's, it is not at the protocol design level. It okay. is at the implementation level, at the chip design level. And it's been patched, like, you know, the patches are out, you know, but except for Linux as the operating system, they haven't put out a patch for this one yet. So I thought Android actually had put out and iOS. Did you read any different, Jim? I know that Google has has released it, whether it's been pushed to all the devices. Yeah. And so, you know, again, this is going back to the fact that this itself can be used later on to install malicious malware, do mm -hmm. ransomware, you know, used in a larger sort of Mirai sort of an attack. So this vulnerability today does not have as much of an impact as it would if it's going to get deeper, right? So, you know, if they 
can remotely execute code on your phone, if they can steal information, if they can manipulate your cameras to take pictures and start, you know, getting that information, can they also then install malware, you know, make you click on a ransomware through an email that they're sending to you? You know, will your device now be part of a larger attack? A wide variety of devices that, that actually run Bluetooth, you know, it's, you, you, you know, you can, your cameras, you kind of mentioned that, your cars, your, you know, your watch, are all of those getting the updates they need to, to be protected. You know, I honestly don't know if my watch has gotten the update yet. You think about the number of devices that are being impacted. Healthcare, I've you know started hearing from a number of healthcare organizations where most of these medical equipment come with Bluetooth, you know, and usually it's turned on by default. Nobody mm. shuts it off. So things like that that are going to be impacted. Interesting. I guess what I would be most interested in seeing is if people find that this is being used in the wild, what malware is being designed for it and pushed out. Mm -hmm. Because even if the vulnerability exists on multiple platforms, yep. the chances they're going to develop malware for each of those platforms, I think is fairly low. Yes. So I would, I would want to see what platforms are actually being infected if I mm -hmm. were to have any sort of like response to this at this point. Because I think right. most folks will think, what can I do besides turn off my phone or disable the Bluetooth on my, you know, my smartwatch or things yeah. like that. So. Yeah, at this point, I, I would think the probability of exploits being developed to target this is lower. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, again, going back to the point that people might think about it that way and not patch, right? Yeah. So later on, you know, we might see something being developed, right? I, so, I think you're right. We yeah. might... You might have to watch this one for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. If you're not using your Bluetooth radio, turn it off. That should be one or two clicks within like a mobile app environment. Or if you're using it on a, a laptop, it should be just as easy. Like we always say, you know, don't keep services running that you don't use often. Take an inventory of all of the devices that you pretty much use that have Bluetooth by default turned on. Turn it off and make sure you also patch. All right, so let's go into the internet weather for this week. This is the top 10 most probe ports in the last seven days. The top three uh, most probe ports haven't changed this past week. So that's 23 TCP, which is Telnet, mm -hmm. old friend. Uh, 22, which is SSH. And then 1433 is MS SQL. That's still up to top. I mean, uh, it's still incredible. I mean, the other section I can say is, is definitely different this week. We have a significant number of ports that aren't covered. Mm -hmm. So taking a look, the most sources probing. So this is the number of IPs that's attempting to scan these. And, and the other one was the number of scan, you know, packets that you're seeing in flows. 23 TCP, again, is at the top of that list. 445, which I think was on fourth place on the last screen. Yeah, fourth place is actually in second place in terms of sources probing. And if you're familiar with WannaCry, that makes a lot of sense because that is the port used by the worm and worms tend to generate a lot of, of traffic and they spread. So mm -hmm. the number of sources will continue to go up yeah. And we actually see that it continues to grow, that population. 80 TCP we've talked about before, 21, 22. 5358 is another IoT-specific vulnerability, and that one's been in the top 10 for a while, although you can see it's gone down four spots. It is interesting to see that more of these IoT devices have open ports, and that's being scanned for, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think so far when we talk about security you know, with IoT devices, you do sort of not think about them as part of your network and don't really do vulnerability assessments on them. You're not really checking for unnecessary open ports and services running on them. And, but this clearly shows that, you know, the hackers are out there probing for it. I think everybody should yeah. really treat them. I mean, honestly, 
They're embedded Linux devices in most cases. They are real computers. They're yeah. con they are configured from the operating system side like yeah. a real computer. It's just people look at them and say, it doesn't look like a beige box mm -hmm. or a thing that sits in a rack, therefore I don't think of it the same way in my threat model. Yeah. But people really ought to be doing that. I'd say the fact that still Telnet and FTP remain at the top goes to show that a number of devices still have this open really look at all your systems and close off these insecure you know ports and services when they're not necessary to be used you have more secure versions to use so you know don't leave talent open so this is a 365 day view of port 1433 which is ms sql uh, I was kind of curious as to what we'd seen in the past. I've noticed that in the couple, last couple of months, we were really seeing a significant increase in it. And back in maybe a year ago today, it was around 50 million scan flows per hour. Now we are up around 250, and we've had peaks around 600 million scan flows per hour. So somebody's interested in this port in a big way. It almost leads me to think, you know, they're looking for tons of personal information, sensitive information in databases that are exposed, right? Mm -hmm. So folks collecting data, you know, p keeping them in a SQL database, running analytics over it, but not really securing that database. It's open, you know, it may not have credit card information. So they might think, oh, you know, nobody wants this, right? right. This is just data that I'm collecting, let's say about a spending habit, about a drug and, you know, research around it. People may not be interested, but now every piece of information is valuable. So you don't get to determine what is valuable. Somebody else does. Right? Right. So. And no matter what it is, if it's valuable to your business, people yeah. can either hold it for ransom if they're able to, to you know, sure. encrypt the database, or they can threaten to release mm -hmm. it, which yeah. I think we've seen in a couple of those Quite the last of couple them, of yeah. months, where it's, you know, no matter what it is, it seems to be across different organizations that they've got the database, you know, now that they got access to it, they're holding it for yeah. some sort of ransom. And what yeah. is really neat is the fact that we have this view, right? We've collected data over the years and we can see this pattern mm -hmm. and especially port by port, that is amazing. So, yeah. so this is scan sources on port 9000 TCP and this is related to an IoT vulnerability that we've seen in the past. And this is a 150 day view. I, I didn't want to go quite back to, uh -huh. to 365, uh, but we did see a huge spike of it in around um, May and June. It dropped off suddenly, mm -hmm. no explanation why. And then yeah. at the start of September, we saw a smaller spike, and now we're seeing it trend back upwards again. So I think, I tend to think when you see a small isolated spike like that, that somebody is sort of testing the waters. Yeah, you know, it's see, almost like to, they took a sort of a holiday break, and yeah. then you're back on it. Well, I'm not sure that it's the same people. That's the <laughs> okay. thing, it's, it's not obvious that, that this, is, this yeah. is the same botnet. Yeah. This one definitely took off like a rocket out of nowhere, decided doing their things. Whoever's over on that side seems to be testing uh -huh. before they, they go full bore on that scanning, um, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how this one evolves. Yeah. Port 5358, scan sources there. Uh, we did see a big uptick recently in that as well. I think that died off at one point and now it's, it's back again. Uh -huh. um, but in the last week or so, we really have seen it drop back off. And I'm, I'm wondering why, it's another IoT bug and we've seen ups and downs with yeah. port 9000, like we showed before. Correct. And maybe these guys have just moved on to other greener pastures. It's, it's hard to say. And I, I think this is potentially the end of interest in this bug, at least from this. If this is a single botnet, then yes, I think they're, they're moving on. This is port 445 TCP, the number of scan sources. I picked this because this is still in the top 10, but also typically I associate this kind of scanning with WannaCry, uh -huh. uh, scanning for the Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance set of bugs. And ever since WannaCry has been released, this scanning has consistently gone up day after day. 
Yeah, this is to show that, you know, it is still out there, right? So basically, mm -hmm. even though WannaCry was released, we think, you know, from a security day, another vulnerability, another patch, move on. Most organizations, interestingly, have still not been able to, you know, deploy patches on yeah. all of their devices. They've done it probably on critical systems, but then it depends on how their network is architected to push these patches out, right? Mm -hmm. so. And it's, it's incredible. It's, some of us think of it maybe not as a solved problem, but as a problem that we've got at least handled Handle, for now. Yeah. You know, there's still some problems yeah. there, and every once in a while you'll find another machine that's been infected by this. Yeah. But you can see the, the, the spikes here, I tend to think that that's like a daily pattern up and down. Yeah. So there's a baseline of machines that seem to stay on all the time, yeah. but there's spikes, and I think on a, on a, there's about seven of them in every weekly range. So yeah, I tend to think those are machines course. coming up and you know, being powered on for the day, yeah. and then being turned off at the end of the day, and so on and so forth which is interesting to see. Yep. And this one was one that I hadn't seen in a while. I went back into the top 20 mm. uh, list, and I wanted to see what had happened to this old, old chestnut, because 53.413 we used to talk about all the time on the show. Yeah. That was a UDP backdoor in Netis devices mm -hmm. that was being used to just, you yeah, send a single yeah. UDP packet and it throws a whole payload in there. I thought it was interesting to revisit uh, that Netis router bug that we had seen for so long and had no longer really been in the top 10 but to see that it's still cruising somewhere in the top 20 um, in those reports is interesting. IoT bugs seem to have an interesting ebb and flow lifespan where they'll be very hot for a while, fall off the radar, and then come back again for some reason, fall off the radar. And I wish I had an explanation for it, but I don't. And this is, by the way, a 365-day view. Back at the start of the year, this was definitely a, a hot tar target. But it's definitely gone down to, eh, if we average that, around 80 80 million scan flows per hour. So no longer as, as interesting a target, but it still hasn't quite gone away. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Maybe someone has still got interest in this, or maybe they've just left their botnet mm. going, oh. you know, without turning, <laughs> changing the ports them, mm -hmm. but who knows? That's that. It, it feels this week like we have certain situations that aren't easily addressable by the end user. And it's frustrating but it's a reality of security sometimes. I mean, it, to fix a problem that affects a wide range of devices or a wide range of machines, it's a big effort. A lot of times we're very happy to say that absolutely the people who are you know, responsible for fixing this code or this device have done the legwork and we're going to be fine. This week, I really can't say that. As you know, we are seeing the threat patterns change, the motivation of the attacker is changing across, you know, the threat landscape. The who is changing, the why is changing, the what and the how is changing. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.